Hi, this is Natalie Lander, voice of Kinsey, Tara Branford, Stargirl, and many others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit W2Mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. And we are live to tape here on the W2M Network. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the kickoff. Hopefully now 100% better audio sounding than it was two weeks ago. Woof. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Thank you for joining us as per usual here. Joining me, the regular cast of characters, starting with the executive producer. He's also your anchorman, Eric Watkins. It takes a lot of work to actually do something right as an executive producer around here. Stay classy, W2M. The the unprofessional, apparently I turned southern there for a second. The unprofessional, Jason, you're my boy, Lou! Teasley. Good afternoon, everyone. How are you doing this evening? You are never going to live that down, I'm just telling you. Hey, I'll claim I'll claim that one with pride. Especially uh, as long as the Clippers are in the playoffs, why would you? Hey, Eric, I got a question for you. Who is that nickname brought to us by? Well, that's obviously that nickname is brought to us thanks to the delicious Lou Will Lemon Pepper Wings at Magic City in Atlanta. Come for the wings, stay for the breasts and thighs. Mm-hmm. And- in your fourth host, there is Randy Isbell. If I don't get one of these three to switch on one of their picks for the greatest of all teams, I'm not coming back till next Thursday. <laughs> Man, if only we had a show scheduled for next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so for those wondering, yes, this is the conclusion of the greatest of all teams, kind of. There is a caveat of discussion that I'm going to bring to the guys a little bit later on in the show, but there is a focus that has to happen going forward instead. So we'll have to come back to my idea, maybe in the middle of the season, maybe after the season, maybe if the coronavirus shuts down the fucking season, which is entirely possible. Look, I mean, if there's any extra room for my idea that I've had, so that way I'm not just putting out everything on Twitter, by all means. We were going to do greatest of all divisions as well. Argue the four winners on each side of the ball in the divisions. But unfortunately, we ran up against it time-wise because, well, executive producers don't executive produce. And there's no show for six weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a a wise man would once say, we can save that for the next episode. Hey, 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 hey. All right, so here's what's going to happen here. This is the finale of Greatest of All Teams. We are going to the AFC South, where our main event will be the Jacksonville fucking Jaguars. You thought that you would just dismiss us that easily. It Okay, you can, but that's not entirely the point. <laughs> we do have some plans for the Jacksonville picks, though. Um, one of us actually went a very interesting route with his selection i'll leave it to you to figure out who that is we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show but before we get to greatest of all teams afc south edition we open as per usual on these off-season episodes with some news and notes mr anchorman stay classy 
Yeah, well, while I am staying classy, there was a rookie cornerback who somehow did not in what I dubbed the failed cornerback sneak. Kima Severin. Hmm? So we're main eventing with the last story then? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Go ahead. Continue. Uh, Oklahoma State, now former Seattle Seahawk, Akima Siverand? Um, okay. When you have a great idea like dressing up someone as a team player, if you have everybody who is oblivious, that would work. Unfortunately, everybody really wasn't oblivious. And if you saw the lady friend that he tried to sneak in, yes, I'm going to go there. She's a Seattle 7. For me, based on looks, she's more of a 5. Certain personality things and other interests that would mesh with mine in certain scenarios, granted, would bump her higher on the scale. But overall, it's like, no. When you got Mike Vrabel taking jabs at you, you know you done fucked up. How in the hell... Are you going to be a rookie and get fired for trying to sneak somebody on site during a pandemic? In what universe is any piece of tail worth sacrificing a potential NFL contract? I mean, Randy, it, it is Randy, 2020, but... Randy, men always get yelled about about thinking with the wrong head on occasion. Clearly... Kima Severand is a classic description of that argument. Yeah, and I don't even think they were even in camp for that long for this to happen. So none of it makes any sense. It's just a a young man making a really dumb decision. And when you are not a star player, which obviously he is not, you're going to get cut. I do wonder, though, if Russell Wilson would have tried to sneak his wife in, would they let it? They would have set up cameras. Yeah, right. <laughs> they would have set up a they would have set up a concert for her for the rest of the team. What are you talking about? Yeah, his wife's kind of hot. I don't know. I mean, oh, have, have you seen the singer? Have you seen her video for that song Melanin? Uh, it, come on now, it, come on now. Melatonin. Yeah, it puts me to sleep. Saltine so, so American? What? Mm, mm, mm. I guess it's too early in the podcast, although it's not even a $5 word. And it's the title of the song. You know what? I know what what melanin is, Eric. No, I was just going to say, and you stepped on my closing bit there. I'm going to stop because I don't feel like making another gin and tonic right now. Ay, ay, ay. (laughs) So what you're saying is you're on to the next episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. Duly noted. Um... Yeah, this is the equivalent of driving your car into Lake Erie as a rookie. Which is a story that we covered in an earlier off-season episode of the podcast, which got a player fired from the Arizona Cardinals. What is it about the NFC West and rookie players this off-season? What is it about NFL players in general this off-season, Eric? Let's be honest. Okay, raise his eyebrow in 2020. That's legit. All right. 
Let's move on to our next issue here, and it involves one of the teams at hand on this particular podcast. Well, going from that little bit of double trouble that we just talked about to another little bit of double trouble, as a couple of teams are uh, facing a little bit of pressure as far as change in ownership. We touched on in the past with Woody Johnson and the Jets, thanks to... Well, let's just say a whole bunch of political issues in deals involving major championships and golf courses and some things that, well, really shouldn't be said. To the other side of the coin, farther south in Washington, to Dan Snyder himself now being pressured to sell thanks to the whole Me Too situation that he built in the literal glass house, or I should say office building in this case. Obviously, we know who we start with for this discussion. He's already brought it to the table once before. No, we cannot fire James Nolan as well, Randy. Come on. That's what I'm hoping for. Okay. Oh, so, Think about this. As a fan this. of two really shitty New York teams, I want owners to go away. Come on. All right. All right, Randy. What if I were to propose? Yes. If you get the right people with the right amount of money say about five to six billion would you accept a package deal if they take over the jets the mets and the knicks i don't care what they do with the mets (laughs) but yes yeah i I want uh, i've wanted the jets owner out for before he proved to be a complete idiot uh, other than some of the moves he made and and everything going on there and Yes, Dolan is the the worst owner. Well, now that that Clippers owner is gone, he is now the worst owner <laughs> in the NBA right now. So, of course, I want him gone, too. So, I, honestly, I'm surprised that we don't see more changes in ownership anyways with all of this, everything going on and them putting their foot in their mouths left and right. Yes, I know it, it's a lot more complicated to take a team from somebody that owns said team than cutting a player. But I'm still surprised it does not happen as, as often as I think it should. Uh, but yeah, I have no problem with, with both the jets and the Redskins saying sayonara to ownership and bringing in new people that will actually, you know, bring in money. The jets. All right. and who? Who? Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, I still wish, I, I really hope that Washington keeps themselves as the football team. I, I just think that's awesome. Even if they do keep themselves as the football team, on this show, from henceforth, they are still going to be the redacted. Thank you. Uh, um, Jason, yeah, has, Daniel, has Daniel Snyder's time come in Washington? Do you think that they're finally going to be enough of a backlash against him in order to force him out? No, I think I think if they do force him out, uh, I don't think that he'll be forced out. I, like I said, I mean, I brought this up um, previously. Uh, you got the ghetto boys club in the NFL. I mean, just to put it nicely, uh, because you have to be voted out by other owners uh, in order to be uh, exiled from the league. I don't see that happening. Snyder's been uh the the owner for quite some time and i think that he has ties and it's more of a like i said a good old boys club and i don't see a lot of owners banding together because you don't have uh unfortunately 
you know, I'll go out and say this. You don't have that diversity in the front offices as owners in the NFL like you do in other other major sports where you do see some diversity. Um, outside of Jacksonville, I don't know any person that is not an Anglo-Saxon that owns a team. Um, I think that Jacksonville is, is the exception uh, in the NFL. And, you know, when you're voting 30 to one, you know, if, and that's, and I'm just going out on limb, just saying, you know, based on, you know, the diversity rate, I don't think that that's going to happen. And you do have Jerry Jones that backs Snyder who has a very strong foothold with the other owners and can help persuade them to vote with, with him to keep Snyder in the league and not uh, crumble to uh, pressure. See, the problem that I see with that, though, is the fact that Daniel Snyder remaining the owner of the Redacted helps Jerry Jones in the long run. It helps the Murrah family up in New York with the Giants. It helps whomever owns the Eagles. I don't know off the top of my head. Because of the fact that that team is so poorly managed by Snyder, it gives every other team in that division a competitive advantage. Ron, Ron Rivera taking over the day-to-day operations of the team is going to improve things in Washington. But mark my words, as long as Daniel Snyder owns that team, they will never sniff a Super Bowl. I completely agree, and I want to bring out both of your points there and sort of piggyback. We know Jerry Jones is the shadow commissioner. While you don't even need, like, a real unanimous vote, you would only need three-fourths of the owners, so 24. Look who the two real powerful people are. Jerry Jones, the shadow commissioner, and your really richest owner, or close to it, guys like a Stan Kroenke, Ernest Robert Kraft. You get those three guys together, headed by Jerry Jones and whatever kind of cabal you want to call it, and just say... This helps me in the long run. This will help you with having a crap team in the long run. One less that you have to deal with in your conference. It's an easy no right then and there. So you're absolutely right. While this should at least get more of a conversation and more thought into a transfer of ownership, it'll never really happen. Anybody have any follow-ups for this here real quick, or do we want to move on to the next news topic? I mean, I think we pretty much beat that beat that to death with all of our opinions. I mean, we all made good points. We all voiced how we feel about that. And, I mean, we've all come to the understanding that it's not going to happen as long as you have right. mm-hmm. the, the, money, the money and the persuasion of the other owners. Yep. So basically what we're saying, Randy, is you're fucked. Hey, I'm used to it. I'm so used to it as a Jets and a Knicks fan. As much as, years I, of this crap. as much as I may have liked Ralph Wilson as the owner of the Bills, I will say that the Pagulas are doing an excellent job with the franchise. So it's interesting to see what new blood can do for a team. Yeah. All right, Eric. It, it, 
at least Randy, you know where to keep the lube and everything, so it's all good. Topic number three. Well, Eric popped himself with that. Well, as everyone else called it, I decided to do the same. The Game Changer. Yes, with this news, in collaboration with Yale University, the NBA, and the National Basketball Players Association, there has been an emergency approval for a new rapid COVID test that is in the process of being scaled up and coming onto the market. Let's just say the NFL breathing a gigantic sigh of relief for this news but this also affects the college football landscape and this gives ammunition to one ohio state quarterback justin fields who has already started a petition to let the retin kind of reverse course and decide to play in the fall after all i'm almost thinking at this particular moment he's wishing he hadn't left georgia <laughs> yeah, but at the very least, he could actually contend for a national championship. Hey, and Georgia was... had an opportunity last year until they lost to LSU. Yeah, and what happened before that? the year that? before. <laughs> the thing about it is, is it's not going to be safe to play football for a while still. The opportunities that they get to play are going to have to come from situations like what we're seeing from the NBA and the NHL under under um, quarantine statuses. And you cannot quarantine a bunch of college athletes together because they're just going to go out and do dumb shit. And you can't quarantine a bunch of NFL athletes together because one of them is going to be a dumbass and try to sneak his girlfriend into the facility. Well, this is this is my thing. Uh, I think you're going to see uh, and. The great thing about this is um, you see a lot of people that was entered into the transfer portal have now removed themselves from the transfer portal because where they was transferring from is actually going to have a fall season, which causes a really interesting uh, landscape in the college football realm. Also, I, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Robert Foster for posting this. Um, everybody said that they're going to have, like, you know, limited fans and everything. And I think everybody's just going to congregate in the uh, in the uh, parking lot and protest the other team. Uh, I mean, that seems to be legal now. You can have public protests. So they're, just going to protest. they're just going to protest the opposing team every weekend. I did see that post by Foster where instead of calling it tailgating, it would be public protest protests of the opposition. Yes. Smart. Smart. Uh, I did like that, but because uh, I, I know. Uh, shout out th- real quick. Shout out to Robert Foster. You can check out him and his rotating cast of co-hosts over on Golden Point Sports. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I mean, um, but I know there's. Uh, was a kid from West Virginia that opted out of the transfer portal and a kid from Marshall that have opted out. So that's why I brought it to my radar is, and I started digging around, and there's a lot of names that had entered the transfer portal going to schools that won't have a fall season that have kind of removed their names, so they will be playing in the fall. Randy? 
I mean, this is such a tough topic because, of course, you, you want it to be the point where it should be a player's choice as far as they play or not. But yeah, Harry said it perfectly where there's no way you're going to get these college kids to self-police themselves and not be stupid. Obviously, we just talked about a that story in Seattle with a rookie who obviously is just a year older than a lot of these college kids and some of them just maybe even the same age. And you don't have a governing body in the NCAA that's going to come down with one specific thing like you're gonna like you have in the NBA or NHL. So it's gonna be completely impossible for any of this kind of stuff to be really policed correctly. And I mean honestly, this whole college football season is just a mess anyways with a lot of conferences, even with the new test coming out, are still going to say no, we're not in and others are going to be fighting two plays so it it's kind of like just an exhibition year to me and how it's going to be is the petition going to work probably not but i mean he has every right to do it and i don't i'm not going to get on justin fields for wanting to play through all of this stuff and, and going through the correct avenues to attempt to get things to work that way but i just don't see it working it wasn't even just Justin Fields and Ohio State that have stated that they want to play as well. I think uh, Michigan State came out and said that they want to have a season. And if I'm not mistaken, the original other uh, yes vote to have a season in the Big Ten was Iowa, Eric. Um, actually, Nebraska. Okay, so then obviously there are a multitude of teams into into the Big Ten that still want to play. So you can make the argument that perhaps an independent schedule for the teams that do still want to play in the fall season. Although that would kind of put the other teams in jeopardy in the conference if they were still planning on doing a spring schedule. It's going to be completely fucked up by the time it all ends up going down this year. And it's going to be a situation unlike anything we've ever seen in college football before. Well, here's the rub on that. Remember, Nebraska was one of the vocal voices to where they were willing to jump ship, go ahead and try to pursue either an independent schedule or be like Notre Dame extending their contract with the ACC for this year and go to a conference like the Big 12 and say, hey, could you let us back in? And the Big 12 commissioner said, yeah, you know that 50, 60 million dollar paycheck you're getting? You try this and you kiss that goodbye. That's number one. Number two, looking at it from another set of a numerical standpoint, is the actual health and safety. You recently just had a Rutgers. There were reports of 30 different players, 30, who had tested positive. And you just had this recent news out of Oklahoma. They had nine positive tests. And every, about 75% of the team stayed on or near campus in Norman for that. So you're going to have all of these question marks, plus a situation like I touched on previously with the lineman from University of Indiana who has the myocarditis. So you're looking at these conferences and they're saying like, okay, how much liability do we want to expose ourselves and our schools to, not just now, but say five years, ten years down the road, when everything could still be possible in that realm from this. So as much as, in some cases, I would love to see it, as much as with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and everyone else expressing their desire, rightfully so, to play, 
there's way too many question marks going out way too far for these things to be considered in as in-depth as they should be. What's going to end up happening is these marquee athletes that we're talking about, these Justin Fields, is these uh, Trevor Lawrence especially, because I don't think there's any question to most experts that Trevor Lawrence <clears throat> is the number one pick in the 2021 NFL draft. He's not going to sacrifice the 2021 NFL draft in order to play an ACC schedule in 2021. It's not going to happen. He will if he realizes he's on a first-class trip to Jacksonville, just saying. Okay, you might have a point there. <laughs> Don't nobody want to go to Jacksonville in 2021. So I want to yes, pose this question. What if the NFL season does get canceled? How do they do the draft? Lottery. I would assume. Lottery, some sort of weighted average over multiple seasons, and, maybe a combination. Who knows? And then... And then even though it's the NFL draft lottery, somehow the Red Wings still get fucked. <laughs> hey, That's I mean, the, hey, it could be good news for Randy. The Jets could be the number one overall pick. Yeah, but they're set at quarterback. Darn knows shown flashes of brilliance. Can't argue that. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on here to a happy note to end things over at the news desk, Eric. Yes. Maybe. Well, speaking <laughs> Dramatic reverb. Speaking of quarterbacks and potential happy endings, not in New England and Florida massage parlors, we can't officially call this one a comeback. I'm sure a lot of us have seen Project 11, that documentary. If you haven't, then if it is still available, I recommend you do, just not while eating, for obvious reasons. Yeah. I'm about to have a light snack over here. I would highly recommend that you not have anything even closely resembling food before watching Project 11 or immediately after, for that matter. What is Project 11? I am glad you asked. May I, Eric? Of course. I actually have the answer to this one. It was a documentary on ESPN Plus that actually aired on the Family and Networks about the rehab and recovery of the man we're about to talk about. Mr. Alex Smith. Because through the injury, through the surgeries, through everything in that documentary, not only have his personal doctors cleared him, but one of his personal team of doctors happens to be the team physician for the Redacteds. They have gone and given him full clearance to play for this upcoming season. It still makes me very, very nervous because given Washington, given everything that he's done, which I salute him for attempting to get back on the field, but seeing his family and everything going on for him personally, I think it's a bad idea because something like this could very easily happen again. Forty-two. Eric, do you know the significance of that number? For Alex Smith or for that number just in general? For Alex Smith. I want to say it would have to do with, like, number of weeks since he played. 
number of different procedures he underwent. Yeah, I thought it was only like 17. No, it, it between all like the skin grafts and everything, they said the number was in the low 40s. Ah, so they counted all of those. Gotcha. They counted them separately. Major procedures where he was sedated, 17. Mm-hmm. This is a man who literally almost lost his life multiple times in the recovery from the leg injury that he sustained playing a game for a team that, A, doesn't have the facilities to block for him in the first place. B, he doesn't need the money because he's financially set for life as long as he's been playing in the NFL. And C, has a wife and, I believe, three small children to think of. Mm Mm-hmm. And the desire to get back onto the field and play again is so great that he has been pressuring himself, pressuring his doctor staff, pressuring anybody who would listen to him. And finally, the redacteds have pulled him off of the physically unable to perform list. I wish Alex Smith nothing but the best. It is an amazing story. It is a fantastic journey to recovery. It could all be taken away like that. Exactly. And like I was saying off air, if there was a preseason this year, it would have been the perfect opportunity for have him go out, take a couple snaps, do all of this, and then let Dwayne Haskins go ahead and come in. But first, let him take a selfie and then just go ahead let that be the perfect end to the redemption arc. Well, 2020 am, decided that ain't going to happen. So, I am not worried about Alex Smith, the football player. I am not worried about Alex Smith, number 11 for the Washington Redacted's number one in your hearts. I am worried about Alex Smith, the father, the husband, and the human being. This is an absolutely terrible idea. And I hope, and I'm not a religious man, but I pray that something like this does not happen to Alex again. Randy, I saw you nodding your head over there. Your thoughts on the attempted return of Alex Smith to the Washington I'm with you, and I I would definitely worry about Alex and, and how easily any of that can happen again, so... I'm hoping, even though he has been taking off the pup list and is able to go out, get out there and do activities and stuff, that not only Alex Smith but Washington take their time with with Alex. If you see him at all this season, do it very late on. Let him get as many practices in as humanly possible. And But I will say, if he steps foot on an NFL field for a meaningful snap, during any game of the season, he wins comeback player of the year, right? Even if he just goes out there to kneel once just to get – I mean, I best-case scenario, say last game of the season, we've gotten to the point with COVID, hopefully, that we can have a quarter of the stands full. And you let him go out there to kneel the ball or something just to get any kind of a crowd pop. Even that one snap like that, Alex Smith wins comeback player of the year, right? Mm-hmm. I think the fact what? that he's made it off of the physically unable to perform list is enough in and of itself. 
I think he actually has to uh, perform to to get that honor, not just you know show up. This ain't a participation league, uh, like some people want it to be. Uh, what he's accomplished is a damn near um, a miracle. I mean, to be honest with you, my fear is the Washington fuckards are going to be struggling so bad with Haskins. They're going to put him out there before they're going to pressure him to, to get on the field before he's mentally ready. Um, and the competitors that he has, the competitor that he is, he's going to push himself to be out there as well to, uh, so, to, um, be be the uh, just be the face of the franchise again and overcome that hurdle, but I don't think that he's mentally ready, especially with that offensive line, because that draws a huge target on you. That leg has a massive target for any defensive player. Let's also not. Let's not also forget that his best offensive lineman is no longer with the team now after him and Daniel Snyder had their blowout last year. Trent Williams was traded during the course of this offseason. And let's also think of it like this. And we even mentioned like towards the end of the season where you would have fans in the stands. Say as we're getting through the course of this season – you have Dwayne Haskins, who isn't doing so well. Jason brought it up. Washington's going to be looking. Fans are going to be clamoring to see Alex Smith. That brings an extra dimension of pressure along with that competitive drive, along with trying to continue this rebuild of the franchise, etc. And that puts even more vulnerability for something to go wrong. It's a risky situation at best. It's a potentially dangerous one at worst. And for as much as I want the Alex Smith comeback story to have a happy ending, I'm more fearful that it won't to the point that I don't know that I would be able to enjoy it in the first place. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I say even if he steps out there, week 17 or whatever the last week of the season happens to be let him go in and actually be yet another quarterback who actually knows how to take a knee if he can do that easily come back player of the year just because of everything that he did so he could we've seen similar precedent in college before for the record it's entirely possible that Dwayne Haskins would be too busy taking a selfie to do that final kneel down anyway but this is also what's something you got to look at. Do you think Washington's going to be in the lead long enough uh, for <laughs> any games to go out into a victory formation? That's, well, you don't have a... to be in the lead to be in a victory formation. It's like, oh, wow, we're down 56-3 to three with five seconds left. Throw we're in gonna the take, towel. We're going to take an L on this one. <laughs> so what you're saying, to quote Keegan-Michael Key, take the L. Exactly. Any of you guys watched Game 1 on CBS? Did any of you guys check that out? No. 
I have not. It was okay. It wasn't like great or anything, but it was okay. It had some cool guests on it, though. Uh, Fluffy was on there, so that was kind of cool. I like Gabriel Iglesias. Eh. All right, I think that wraps us up for our news desk, does it not? Yes, it does. And that takes us into the debate time. And as you know, we are a group of master debaters here. If there's one thing that we can say about this podcast... That is true. We we do. We we are a handful of master debaters. Facts. All right. So anyway, um, the AFC South is our final destination. Traditionally, we go in alphabetical order for these divisions, which would mean Houston, Indianapolis. But then we go out of alphabetical order. Well, of what I remember, it goes. The current Houston, Houston slash Tennessee, then Indian, then naturally the team no. that's well. All right. I can't even say number 32 in everybody's hearts, but we all know. A, Tennessee is after Indianapolis because it spells hit if you do it that way. Look, look, we're not all as clever as Mike Trout, who named his uh, recent child to have the initials of Bat. Thank you very much. Any comments about my parents? My parents were that clever. I just suck at baseball. What's your middle? What's your middle initial? B. I'm Benjamin. I'm RBI. As soon uh-huh. as he said that his parents were that clever, I'm like, that son of a bitch's middle initial is B. Has to be. Well, yep. the good news is, is he's he's not. He never mind. I'm not going to say it. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the high road there because you guys probably know <laughs> what I was thinking. At least his middle name isn't. Brrr, moving on. All right, so we go over to the AFC South this week, and as I said, we start with the Houston Texans, the current Houston franchise. Then we will go to the Indianapolis Colts formerly of Baltimore, and that does play in effect for one of our predictions, for one of our picks. Dun, dun, dun! Dramatic reverb. But it's not him, ironically enough. Even though he is kind of the historian on this show. I will will make my argument. Trust me. And and then we will head to the Tennessee Titans, which now I kind of want somebody to message Robert Foster and get what his picks would be for the Tennessee Titans. Since we've already name-dropped him on this particular episode. I don't think he's online though because he's in bed yeah with a small child i would imagine him and haley are both sleeping where they can yeah again golden point check it out we we could get that and um do it do it as a uh as a teaser for the next episode yeah 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 segway um by the way, that reminds me. I actually have an idea for how we can push next week's episode on uh, on the on the Twitter page, Jason. How's that? You know how we you just did the uh, randomizations for who's getting what? Yeah. If you want to know before the broadcast of who's going to discuss what team, you have to find out at W two M Chairman on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, I could post that. We can make the official announcements as to who's going to cover what team on on the Twitter page, so that way people know. And then if they don't, they find out when they listen to the next episode. (laughs) I heard Jason chime in too there. That was great. All right, let's move on. We start with the Houston Texans. And 
We're going to start defensively because defensively it was unanimous. Mm-hmm. The man came back from a torn bicep this past season to play in a postseason game. You son of a bitch. Hey, he just went the- out there and stepped on the field and said, it's time to play some tag. Ultimate tag at that. <laughs> I got that reference too. Anyway, for as much as I may dislike his athletic abilities and what they did to us in a 22 to 19 loss in this past wildcard weekend, there is no denying that when you look at modern players in the NFL, the biggest throwback to the old school defensive lineman is number 99 for the Houston Texans. He is the biggest throwback to the kind of guy who has the heart, the passion, and the desire to be as good as he possibly can at the game of football, and the dedication that when he does get injured, which has happened two major times over the course of the last four seasons, to bust his ass and be able to come back in time for the postseason. I am, of course, referring to one-third of the Watt brothers playing in the NFL, but easily the most name-recognized of the three, J.J. Watt. Exactly. And I mean, again, as we talked about this, you don't like him, but remember baby steps. You went from scoring three points in the playoffs to 19. One of these years, you'll make me get a win. It's all about improvement. Let me know when you sniff the playoffs again, Eric. Well, I mean the fact that, oh, let me check. Uh, Guys, uh... Let's see. My team's made an AFC championship game this century. Randy's oh, has made one. Two. Jason, two. Jason, no, Randy's made two. We all know about making it past championship games for uh, Jason. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think that covers everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, we're good. Uh, okay. Eric, fun fact. I just realized this tonight. As the call host, I can mute you on Skype. Well, I mean, as an executive producer, I can say that this has been a lovely episode that we've got going on. And it'd be a damn shame if anything happened to it. (laughs) And I want to point out, uh, I want to go, for all of his accolades on the field, what makes J.J. Watt one of my favorite players in the NFL is the person he is off the field. Agreed. The Houston, the Houston Flood Relief Funds. The J.J. Watt Foundation. Yeah, but what put J.J. Watt on my radar for being the amazing player off the field was something that happened back in 2015. Um, there was this 12-year-old boy named Billy that was being bullied um, at school. Uh, I mean, he... He had a hard life. He was being bullied. Uh, and J.J. Watt came uh, to his aid, and he said that, you know, uh, I think it was like he was talking about J.J. Watt being his favorite player or something. And um, he J.J. Watt actually went into the school during lunch while the kids was bullying the kid and walked up to him and asked why they're bullying his friend, and then took the kid out to a flag football game with other members of the Texans football team, 
gave him jerseys and they and that's something you don't see very often um and there's a lot of people that you know you'll see around christmas time that you know certain players will go through but jj watts one that you don't he doesn't do it for the media attention he does it because he's a great person. He has a huge heart, and he wants to be an ex- amazing individual and be a role model that kids can uh, look up to and aspire to be. Not to mention, it's kind of how the entire Watt family is, too. That mm-hmm. With all the fame that the family has seen, even with their various successes in different franchises now, two of them playing together in Pittsburgh and then obviously J.J. in Houston. Um, success hasn't gone to their head as a family either. You mentioned the the story with what? Uh, TJ is a very common participant at the Ronald McDonald houses up here in Pittsburgh back when, you know, they were able to go. Um, very common uh, participant in the lunch with the Steelers program. I know all this because my girlfriend's a Steelers fan. I've talked about that before on the show, and she always tells me about I'm all the sorry. stuff. All the stuff that TJ does for TJ does for the families of the fans of the team as well. There, it's a case of their mother and their father raised them right, and they're bringing that kind of persona to the NFL. You mentioned that T, that uh, JJ doesn't do it for the fame and the fortune and the accolades. JJ does it because it's the right thing to do. He has the ability to use his platform to set an example for what it should be like when you are an NFL player with that kind of platform, and. and uh, there's no better – like I said, he's that throwback player too that you may not like him when he's playing up against you, but you can't help but respect his performance, Randy. Yeah, absolutely, and and you guys are talking everything off the field. I'll just hit on the field really quick. And again, it was unanimous for all of us, and it's easy to look at when you just look at the stats. He's the Texans' all-time leader in sacks with 96, forced fumbles with 23, and fumble recoveries with 15, five-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Time Pro, three-time NF Defensive Player of the Year. I am off the field, on the field. The guy is fantastic. And like you said, Harry, you hate it, hate him when he's facing you because he's just that good. He's the kind of guy that players were that defensive coordinator or offensive coordinators were scheming for before it became a popular thing to do. They knew that if you could shut down J.J. Watt, the Houston defense wouldn't be nearly as effective as it would be if you couldn't shut down J.J. Watt. He is a game-changer player. Eric, let's start offensively with your selection. All right. Well, we know that up until recently, the Texans franchise has been plagued by issues at quarterbacks. While they appear to have that situation settled, One thing that they have been great at in their fairly brief existence is wide receiver. Now, I'm sure another pick from someone else in this group, they will be mentioned and they will be my honorable mention. But Two of us. Yeah, can you really go up against DeAndre Hopkins, everything that he did in Houston? I mean... The speed, quickness, he was the guy that just like J.J. Watt, you had to shut down defensively. Offensively, it was like, you gotta target Nuke. Just do something. Take him out of the game and everything else will flow. 
110 games, 110 starts, durability. 632 catches, 8,602 yards for an average of 13.6 yards per catch. Reliability. 54 touchdowns, game-changing potential. 457 receptions for first downs. Dependability. A long play of 76 yards. Explosivity. Literally every one of the major things that you look for when you are a marquee, when looking for a marquee wide receiver belongs to DeAndre Hopkins in the seven years that he spent with the Houston Texans. Bill O'Brien, you're a fucking dumbass. Wait a minute. Where did Bill O'Brien come from? Where was his last coaching job, if I remember correctly? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Well, what, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, Where's that mute button? Where's that mute <laughs> button? <laughs> Obviously, he's referring to the fact that before he came to the Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien was the head coach of the Penn State Nelly Lions. Jason. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, my pick was Nuke, too. But, I mean, again, we're going to go. We're going to build upon, you know, my accolades of a great human being uh, that I, you know, I brag about JC Watt. But I want to point out something that Nuke does. Every single touchdown he scores, he finds his mother, who was blinded by an ax- by acid uh, attack. And he gives the ball to his mother after every touchdown. Not only a, a freak on the field, a solid human being that has a heart of gold. Now, he is now with the Arizona Cardinals. And I do have another receiver that I want to make an honorable mention. I don't think, Randy or Harry, either one of you took him. I took DeAndre Hopkins as well. Okay. I'm the outlier with the other receiver. All right. Uh, so I, it might be uh, – I'll have to look. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it's uh, it would have been Randy's pick if it's another mm-hmm. receiver. Uh, so I'll let Randy uh, speak on his accolades because, um, yes, it, it is Randy's pick. So my honorable mention is actually Randy's pick who – was the face of a fran- the franchise for a very long time when uh, Hopkins was coming in to take over that role. So I'll go ahead and let Randy talk about it because that is actually my honorable mention for the uh, Texans franchise. It's a solid honorable mention as well, Randy, that you picked here. The the uh, the face of the franchise for the wide receiver for the wide receivers to throw to in the days pre DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, and I, I think it's not just an honorable mention. He should be the guy that you guys pick. You, you, Harry, you went out through all the stats of Hopkins, and yes, I think if Hopkins would not have been to Arizona, and if we did this in five more years and revisited it, I might change my mind with Hopkins, but he doesn't hold a candle to Andre Johnson as far as a career goes with the Texans. Every stat you said for Hopkins – Johnson has more. He is a better overall receiver, and he does not have 
as good of a quarterback as Watson to throw to him. Stat line. He, he had he had Matt Schaub the whole time. He has a thousand and sixty-two receptions, fourteen thousand one hundred and eighty-five receiving yards, and seventy touchdowns. He had five seasons with over a hundred catches. He is the team leader in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, single-season receptions, single-season reception yards, and starts. He is everything Hopkins was, but better, and for a longer period of time. Again, in five years, Hopkins and Watson are going to put up would have put up some amazing numbers, and he probably would have topped him there because, again, I have no problem with Hopkins. I think he's fantastic. I've drafted him many times in fantasy leagues, and he's helped me win many championships. But Andre Johnson did everything that Hopkins did, but for longer and with a much less of a, a a cast around him. He was the offense for many years for Houston. And where did he come from? It's a good question. I forget. Miami. If Eric is asking, he came from Miami of Florida. It is. Thank it is. you. <laughs> okay. See, Jason. Harry, they get it. Randy, you're getting there. I- I'm learning. Time. I'm learning. You're new, kid. <laughs> yeah, I am. All right, let's move over to the Indianapolis Colts. And surprisingly, not unanimous on this one. One of us even decided to go all the way back into the fucking 50s and 60s for his pick. I just have to say, you guys were, were messaging around. You're like, oh, we should make this an honorable mention as I'm typing his name out in the chat. I'm like, God damn it. They're going to think I'm just stealing it. But so, no, we'll we'll allow you to go with the man who was the pace setter for the franchise before the man who's going to end up winning this conversation mm-hmm. became the pace setter. Uh, Randy, I will allow not just the I pace will, setter for the franchise, pace arguably the trend setter for the NFL. Yeah, arguably the trendsetter for the NFL in general. Uh, Randy, I will allow you to start however you have been outvoted on this one. Yeah, and I was expecting it, but my pick is Johnny Unitas. Obviously going really, really old school here. And the thing that people need to remember is this guy was winning championships before there was a Super Bowl. Technically, he's a four-time champion. Only one of them, however— yeah, he was at three NFL championships. He did win the one Super Bowl, Super Bowl five. And if it wasn't for my New York Jets, he would have two Super Bowls, which would make him better than your guys' quarterback. Yeah. To me, I mean, yes, obviously Peyton Manning completely surpasses him in every passing stat. But it's a completely different era back when Unitas played. You weren't throwing the ball as much. So I think as as much as I was getting on Hopkins not surpassing Johnson – they were back-to-back kind of players. This is decades apart. I think it's a little different. But the big stat that came out to me with Unitas was 42nd of seven consecutive games with a touchdown, which was a record that lasted for 52 years before Drew Brees finally broke it a few years ago. And with all of how crazy passing has gotten in the last 20 years, for that record to stand for as long as it did, I mean, the dude was a trendsetter way back before Peyton Manning even thought about being a trendsetter. No, and this is going to go kind of back to the conversation that we had in regards to your New York football Jets and the fact that we all selected Joe Namath for what he did for the franchise back in the late in the 60s into the early 70s. Johnny Unitas was Mr. Colts. There's no argument of that there. No. However, 
However, I think that the argument has to be made for modern fans that while Unitas was Mr. Colt in Baltimore, most modern fans associate the team with Indianapolis now. And the player that the, the player that the team that the fans associate with the Indianapolis Colts is my selection. And I believe Eric's selection as well. Yes. And that's number eight, that's number 18, Peyton Manning. Yeah. I mean, I agree with it. No. Well, I'm going to make a little bit of a caveat this week, even with my case. Real quick here, Jason, you're wrong. Accept it. Go ahead, Eric. Now, when the Ursays decided to stab the city of Baltimore in the back that fateful night in 1984 with the Mayflower trucks and moved the team west, Unitas actually came up to them and said, Strike my name for the record books. I never played in Indianapolis. No. For everything that he did, and you were talking about the first real star quarterback in the NFL, after Otto Graham, after slinging Sammy Ball for the Redacteds, he was the guy. He had, as Jason mentioned, or as Randy mentioned, the 47 consecutive games with a touchdown pass. He was the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for over 40,000 career yards. He helmed the winning team that played in what is regarded as the greatest game ever played, the 1958 NFL Championship, and won the rematch at Memorial Stadium 31-19 the following year. Um, 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 what, real quick, Eric, who did they beat in that game? Uh, well, I mean, the 58 title game was at Yankee Stadium. And if memory serves me correctly, the team that played at Yankee Stadium was the New York Football Giants. I believe you are correct, sir. Mm-hmm. Continue. So you had, like, all of these accolades. Plus, for what he did even so much off the field in helping with the league, he was instrumental and in really the creator of the National Football League Players Association. So with all of these things, and again, I have the man's jersey, Mitchell and Ness from 1970 in that Super Bowl. And I will also say, had he been in instead of Earl Morrill, then Super Bowl three would have just been like every other game instead of the massive upset. Damn, Eubank. Anyway, I digress. For everything that he did, even back then, you shift that time forward since 84 lucas oil stadium the house that peyton built he's getting a statue like unitas has up in baltimore yes he has the records including everything that we mentioned and even the more passing era but let's face it after even way after unitas left in the Burt Jones era in Baltimore, another very good gunslinger. That franchise was mired in total mediocrity. Arch Schleister, uh, Jeff George, you remember them? Peyton Manning? I mean, I remember, Sch- I remember Schleister just because it was fun to make fun of his name. Exactly. Jeff George was also there in Indianapolis. That franchise was way back to nothing. Until Peyton Manning came along and look at where he's led them to on par with and in some cases beyond what Johnny Unitas did. 
And for those Steelers fans, yes, you had a chance to have him, but you cut him in 56. Let that sink in. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. The year before Peyton Manning became an Indianapolis Colts, I do believe they were 1-15. in Yes, and a similar record thereabouts as rookie year as well. But yes, that's why they had the number one pick. 3-13 and 13 the following year. 13-3 and three the year after that. <sighs> and then when they were realigned into the AFC South, my uh, accelerated journey into the fiery ninth circle of hell continued. For as much respect that has been put on Peyton's name in Denver, and we talked about this when we did the Broncos, when we gave credit to El, when we named Elway as the greatest of all teams, we gave an honorable mention to Peyton out there. But we knew, at least I think we knew, that Peyton was going to carry Indianapolis when we made that honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Fifty-four thousand eight hundred and twenty-eight yards. I do believe the second third quarterback to have 50,000 yards with a franchise? I want to say Marino and Fouts, maybe? Fouts didn't have 50,000. So it would only be those two. With one franchise? Yeah. I'm going to have to look into that and confirm that. I'll look into that off-air, and then we'll talk about that next week here. 399 career touchdown passes with the Indianapolis Colts. Let me get the exact numbers here. Which means every 5.5% of throws that Peyton had with the Colts, he was throwing a touchdown pass in Indianapolis. 27 career playoff games. Granted, of those 27 career playoff games, I think a half dozen of them or so came in Denver. But I... Don't think there's any question that leaves him as the career leader for starts at quarterback for the NFL for a playoff season for Indianapolis for the Colts franchise. Mm-hmm. And I did uh, some double checking. You were correct. Three quarterbacks to throw for fifty thousand yards for a single franchise. Fouts was not one of them. So uh, Manning, Marino, and Manning's arch rival. Brady? Brady. Okay, makes sense. All right, back to the uh, back to the stat line for Peyton real quick here, though. In the... I'm doing the... Looking at the math here. In the 13 years that he was with Indianapolis, one sub-500 season. Yeah, not counting his rookie year. I was about to say, not, it's like his rookie not year... Not counting his rookie other, year. Yeah. The other time that he finished sub-500 was 6-10, and 10, and I don't think he played a full season that year. I think he was in and out of games due to injuries that season. Mm-hmm. And that may have been the year that um, a certain other person's pick got hurt as well. I'll have to look into that to get more specifics here. All right, Jason, you're already outvoted, but I, I will say this much. He was a very high honorable mention on my list. I'm going to talk about why I didn't pick Peyton Manning. It's because he is mediocre come postseason. Yeah, you can win regular season. You can throw the ball all over the field. You couldn't. You was subpar. You was 14 and 13 postseason. 
you barely had a winning regular season. You have barely had a winning record. I mean, you you as a Bills fan knows can relate. You know, you could have a great regular season, get to the Super Bowl and blow it, and you know it means nothing. That's what you're remembered for. I mean, at me, Watkins. I mean, you know, and that that's my issue with Peyton. So that's why I took Marvin Harrison. I mean, Harrison was the reason Peyton, him and Reggie Wayne were the reason Peyton got most of his stats. Um, in 2002, uh, Harrison broke Marvin uh, Herman Moore's single-season receptions by 20, a record that stood until 2019 when Michael Thomas broke it. Uh, December 26, uh, 2006, Harrison became the fourth player in NFL history with a thousand receptions, joining the likes of some notable names: Jerry Rice, Chris Carter, Tim Brown, and only one of seven receivers in NFL history to reach a hundred touchdowns. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Jerry Rice didn't win greatest of all teams for his franchise either. <laughs> so I mean, you, you and got, there's a picture to prove it. I mean, um. Yeah, I mean, I just I my problem is with Peyton is usually to to be considered great, you have to overcome your your biggest foe, your biggest obstacle. Peyton took a backseat to Brady so much to every morning that he would look at Eli and tell me, ask how to beat Brady because Eli had a winning record record against Brady, something that Peyton did not. But, but, but at the same time, would you rather take 14 and 13 than 116 and 116? Because, I mean, I would. I would. Uh, I, I just can't. Now, granted, Peyton is great, but as a Colt, his legacy's been overshadowed by one Andrew Luck coming in, and the franchise saying, you know, saying that you know moved on from Peyton. So, and a lot of people relate Peyton and don't don't talk so much about Peyton as a cult. They think about his twilight years after he recovered from you know, had the great recovery from the surgery and went on to win another Super Bowl with Denver and set the records with Denver that he couldn't set with Indianapolis. I'm going to make an argument to your Tom Brady point about the postseason with with Manning and Brady. Manning is one and two against Brady in the postseason. Both of the losses are in Foxborough. I don't care. Well, Eli's I mean, two and a okay, well, Two and zero against Brady, and both neutral fields. Yes, neutral fields. Not to mention, you can even make a similar argument going back to another quarterback who you mentioned in the exact circumstances as Joe Montana, and everybody thinking about him when he went to Kansas City when they let him go from San Francisco. Lest we forget the one time that they met. Dan Marino in the postseason, yes, Montana won, and that really wasn't even much of a neutral field because that was right at Stanford Stadium in Santa Clara. 
practically a home game for the Niners. So, so, so think you're about saying that. that you're saying, oh, if you lose, if you lose on the road, it doesn't count. I'm, no, I'm saying that if you I'm lose on it, the road, it's play, a play, much tougher situation game. to be, deal with than on a neutral field or Great. at home. Greatness, greatness can overcome that. Yeah, not to mention, I'm... okay, greatness can you also overcome thanks to a uh, catch off of the helmet and a wide receiver who writes a book about it? Uh, well, you you don't have any Super Bowls. You don't have room to talk. Neither does Harry. Uh, so yeah, me but and we Randy know about losing to the Patriots in Foxborough, and damn it, you referees, Miles Jack was I mean... down. Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people knew about losing to the Patriots till they got to the Super Bowl and ran up against the Giants and ruined that perfect season. Pretty much anywhere Buffalo played, New England, we lost to them. Yeah, not to mention, uh, you meant that regular season. There's a reason why they were sixteen and zero in that regular season, Week Seventeen, and wasn't that in Foxborough as well? They beat the Giants week 17. Yes. The Giants, the Giants went on the road, won three straight games, and the suit, capping it off with a victory over the Patriots. Okay. You're missing the point that Eric is making here. The point that Eric is making here is that it is a lot more difficult to play a road game than it is a neutral site game. Thank you. It's, it's, it's still yes, a game. Yes, it is. Because, come on, even like with neutral site games and Super Bowls, how many of the true fans for either team are there? If I'm going into a stadium like that with everything on the line and I've got 70,000 people screaming obscenities and the fact that I know downright hate me, you would be thankful if I went the first quarter without shitting my pants. Listen, listen, Jason, they're, they're bullying you a little bit. Come over to the United side and let's get him in a poll. I mean, I might just do it to be a dick. Speaking of dicks, Randy, you could suck by for trying to steal our boat. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go with you now just to be a dick. Nope. Just like nope. 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 Yep. Vetoed. Nope. As host, vetoed. Randy, Randy persuaded me. No, he didn't. Ran- That's Randy a goddamn lie. <laughs> Randy persuaded me. You so can't easy. even say Randy can't even say that with a straight face. No, that's a goddamn well, lie. Manning carries. Hold on, I want to take a look. Well, at I would this. ask Jason. Would, would he honestly think Unitas is better than Manning? I I think it's a lot closer than uh, people want to admit. I'm, I'm saying not gonna... that it isn't close no. whatsoever. Don't go okay. putting I'm... words in my mouth. <laughs> I absolutely agree that it's 1A, 1B for Indianapolis. I do think, though, that to Indianapolis fans, Peyton Manning means more. Then you wouldn't worry about us taking it to Twitter. No, I wouldn't, because most of the fans that vote on these polls are younger, and they're going to know Manning more than Unitas anyway. Then then let, let Jason join the Unitas crew and let Twitter decide for you. So you're going to fuck Marvin Harrison out of his vote. You're an asshole, Randy. Well, I mean, again, Reggie gives me a victory. I don't care. Reggie Wayne's from the U. Marvin Harrison isn't, so by all means. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and move over to the defensive side of the ball here. Let's go to Indianapolis's defensive side here. I know I'm outvoted on this one, and I think it's three to one. I'm okay with that. These guys were one A, one B in the same in the same defense, so. 
this is another one of those situations like we just had a little bit ago with um fuck which team was it that I that I'm um, that I'm blanking on right now the Tampa Bay defensive side Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp actually I was I, I want to give my real vote to Pat McAfee as the greatest cult of all time <laughs> for the brand <laughs> we cannot be bought but we can damn sure be rented anyway um I lost this vote three to one. I'm okay with it, but I do think like similar to Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp, this was a one A, one B situation on defense for the Indianapolis Colts. And to me, the numbers don't lie. Robert Mathis's numbers are better. Mathis has more career sacks. Mathis has more career interceptions. Mathis has more career forced fumbles. Mathis played with the franchise longer. I looked this up on Pro Football Reference. All three of those numbers check. Randy just gave me the side eye when I said that. Well, it was just the forced fumbles one. I'm double-checking that, but hold on. 54 career forced fumbles for Robert Mathis. Hold on. So I wasn't looking at Pro Football Focus for Dwight Freeney, and it's a way different number than the side I looked at. so. So I agree with you. Okay. Um, 123 career sacks. The, I do believe Mathis is also the franchise leader in solo tackles. And Freeney played with the Colts for 10 seasons. I think it was, I want to say it was 10 seasons in Indianapolis for Dwight Freeney. Might've been a little i think it was 11 actually based on the math here because i know mathis was there for two years longer mathis Mathis joined in 2003 was with the franchise until 2016 so mathis was there longer and put up better numbers than freeney did my pick is robert mathis and it's okay to be wrong and I'm outvoted here, and I can accept that because, like we said, this is a Sap Brooks situation. It's 1A, 1B for the Indianapolis defense. Both of these guys were synonymous with that Colt defense. So um, the other person who did not select – actually, no, Randy, you did select Dwight Freeney, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. You went to the, you went to the te- secondary for the, te- for the Tennessee franchise, which we'll get to in a second. Um, why did you pick Dwight Freeney, Randy? Just, uh, again, just, like you said, it's exactly the Warren Sapp situation. When I think Indianapolis Colts defense, I thought of Dwight Freeney. Robert Mathis, I mean, I didn't realize had that great of numbers. I mean, 19 and a half sacks in 2013 is just fantastic. Uh, but I think Dwight Freeney really has yeah, – Freeney, the first seven, eight seasons, I think, was just so fantastic. Fell off there a little bit at the end of his career, maybe held on a little bit too long, if anything. But, I mean, completely different position, so it's tough to really go with interceptions and tackles and stuff because you're going to get more tackles in a position Mathis plays. Where I mean, he ended up being a, a linebacker the last few years. Then, Mathis, then was always def- Mathis was always a defensive end, sir. Not according to pro football. Okay. Uh, pro football focus, his last five seasons, he's an outside linebacker. Yeah, he played. He played the Hubbard. Then maybe they maybe they need to change that on ProFootballReference.com. We should link both of those websites since we're 
quoting them significantly first. Mm-hmm. It's our stat line but, here. Again, the, the stats are super close, but again, just like Warren Sapp, I think when I think of a name, I think of Freeney. So that's why I picked him. I, I can't go against Mathis. It's really close. Jason, you went with the white Freeney as well, but will you at least concede that it's another 1A, 1B situation? No. You're still bitter about Marvin Harrison. Yes. <laughs> at least he's honest. Uh, I'm I'm actually going to uh, if this if this player uh, continues on the trajectory that he started out his rookie season on, I think this is going to be a name that you're going to be able to absolutely uh, mention into this conversation, and that's Leonard. I mean, I think Easily. that um, I think if he if he continues on the trajectory he's on, that's going. To, but I, I went with Freeman because uh, simply when you say the Colts. That's the that's who triggers in my mind on the defensive side of the ball. Just like, um, I mean, there's a lot of offensive coaches that come to mind. Edron James, you know, shout out to the U, Eric, um, Joseph Adai, not so much. Um, <laughs> Adai's best seasons were in Indianapolis. Season that's that's singular, <laughs> singular. Uh, no, I mean, I'm just, uh, but yeah, Freeney, Freeney was, is just who leaps to my mind. And that's, uh, does carry a lot of weight with me because it's name recognition for the franchise that does fair does carry because, uh, cause if you, if they're the greatest of that team, you should have that instant name recognition. Now I do think it's uh, closer than what our, uh, that most people will like to admit, but I mean, it's just the insta- instantaneous name recognition that I have. That's why I went with him. Eric, you selected Dwight Freeney as well. As a Jaguars fan, that entire Colts defensive line gave me many, many nightmares for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And Mathis was a big part of that. But when Dwight Freeney came in, I mean, immediately 13, 11, 16 and another 11 his first four years that's how many sacks and that's 16 yes one per game granted i know mathis had a better season like that but the one guy whenever the jaguars played the colts and i knew our offense protection schemes and our various quarterbacks through that time all right who do we have to plan for while mathis was dominant Freeney was the guy that's like, okay, can we at least try to neutralize some sort of double team on him? Mathis will still be effective, but maybe not as much. Fingers crossed on that one. That's absolutely why I picked him. I'm actually really looking forward to the conversation we're about to have because I do believe for the first time as a quartet, we have four separate picks for offensively with the Tennessee Titans slash formerly Houston Oilers. And intriguingly enough, we have kind of a split down party lines as well in terms of the old school and the new school versions of the franchise. Two of you picked actual Houston Oilers. Two of us picked Tennessee Titans. My pick in particular was a Houston Oiler for a single season, but then became the face of the franchise with the move to Tennessee before he left to play for Baltimore for his last two seasons. And my, 
there is a little bit of admitted personal bias in the selection because I got to see him play live when he was in college. And you could tell even in college how special he was. My pick for the greatest Tennessee Titans offensive player of all time is Steve Air McNair. Eh, his older brother Fred was the original Air McNair. Just throwing that out there. 27,141 yards with 156 touchdown passes, which means a touchdown pass 4% of every throws that he made. Career completion percentage of just a shade under 60. 139 games in Houston slash Tennessee, 131 starts, which is relatively consistent for that position. There are several seasons where... Actually, I think the only season where he didn't really uh, have a full season were his two beginning seasons. The first two seasons that he played in Houston were the only two that he didn't start every game he played in. There were some injuries with the rest of the seasons that he had in in, uh, Tennessee. There were three seasons, I think, where he missed at least three or four games. But McNair is synonymous with the franchise once they moved to Tennessee, I think. And there have been other players who have been really good in Tennessee. There have been a couple of uh, – there was a run for Chris Johnson in Tennessee where he was fantastic for a while. CJ2K. Which was the exact quote that I was about to make, hence earning the nickname CJ2K for becoming one of only six running backs in NFL history to have 2,000 yards in a season. I thought it was fewer than that. Dickerson. Dickerson twice. Yeah, when he was with the Rams. We'll have to look that particular stat up here, and I'll yeah, get back Dickerson, to you guys on that one. Dickerson, Lewis, so. I'll double-check on some of those. But it's a bittersweet pick for McNair for me, though. And it has been made mention of many times on this show. McNair was the quarterback of record in the Music City Miracle. So it's a little bit of a bitter, it's a little bit of a bitter seven 2,000 yard rushers, Jason. Yes. Is that counting Dickerson twice? Uh, let's see here. Or would that be eight seasons overall with 2,000 yard running backs? <clears throat> uh, running backs. Uh, the well, first. 2000 yard season was uh, OJ with Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, and the electric company. Dick- the, uh, Dickerson. 84. 83. Oh, 83. I could have sworn that was 84 and 80, season. And 84. I knew he did it in 84 because I think that uh, was the year he set the record. The 2105. Barry. I did not know that, actually. I forgot he had uh, a 2,000-yard season. I thought he only did that in college. Terrell Davis. Yeah. I did. Jamal Lewis. I remember Lewis from the Falls War days. I remember TD from the one of the Super Bowl years. And Adrian Peterson is the latest to record a 2,000-yard season. Okay, so eight, eight seasons, seven different players. Yes. Okay. Still respectable company for Chris Johnson to be in. Back to the point for McNair, though. The tragic end aside, I think McNair's contributions off the field to the game of football, like you talked about for J.J. Watt, is something that we need to discuss as well. 
with the Air McNair Foundation, too. I think that I think that maybe he gets a little lost in the history of the Tennessee franchise. No, he doesn't. But I, you, you, so you would agree that McNair is at least an honorable mention to you? Even though I would rather strike the 1999 season from the record books, as many times as I saw him out there just with his grit and perseverance, and even to the point to where he did not practice all week, yet still put out great Sunday performances, even to the many times Mama Watkins and I have joked that they put the man together to, with duct tape so he could play, I have to give him an honorable mention for that. With all due respect to the other, this being a different sport, practice? We talking about practice? Practice? All right, Eric, make your argument. Okay. Coming down after a great performance in the 1978 Rose Bowl for the University of Washington, entirely overlooked, Sent to the extra-long, extra-wide fields in the Great White North. Only to triumph with five consecutive Grey Cups. To come down to Houston. Finally getting his shot. What does he do there? Only leads the league in passing yards twice. Leads the league in completions and attempts twice. In touchdown passes once yes he did have two years where he led the league in interceptions i get that but you cannot think houston oilers football and especially you being a bills fan you have a very significant moment in a very significant game against this particular quarterback one warren moon granted as we said as far as postseason versus regular season i concede that but let's be real he was the one who even set the table and gave the oilers that fierceness before they moved to tennessee and they were put in mcnair's hands um correct me if i'm wrong eric wasn't he on the wrong end of that playoff game against buffalo yes yes i'm well aware well aware <laughs> Shout out to now Indianapolis Colt head coach, Frank Wright. And to think, it wasn't even his first major comeback. But I want to strike that regro November 14th, 1984 game for the record books as well. But I can't. Damn, Syracuse. Maryland and Miami. I thought he went to Syracuse. Nope. 21 nothing at halftime. Frank Wright came in. In the Orange Bowl, 42-40. to 40. Then a week and a half later, Boston College. That was a bad month. A bad month. All right, so I went Steve McNair. Eric has gone Warren Moon. Jason goes to the running back position for his selection. And I'll As, admit, it's a good one. Yes, I mean... Uh, not so much the Titans, uh, but as a Houston Oiler, and that's Earl Campbell. Uh, five, five Pro Bowls, three all, first team All Pros, MVP, three Offensive Player of the Years, 
uh, rookie of the offensive rookie of the year, three rushing titles, two touchdown titles. Uh, they, the Titans actually retired the number 34 in his honor. Uh, the 1970s All-Decade team, the 100th anniversary team, a Heisman Trophy winner. And, hey, I want to let you guys on a little secret that I just found out by going over his uh, stats. Uh, did you know when I say the Davey O'Brien Award, do you know what college position that goes to? Quarterback. Kicker. It goes to the quarterback. Oh, yeah, well. name for Davey O'Brien, who played at TCU, one of the smallest guys ever to win the Heisman. He was like 5'5". Five, five. And it was also won by Earl Campbell <laughs> in 1977, the year he won the Heisman Trophy, which is really interesting how a running back wins the most prestigious quarterback award in college football that year. Yeah, Shotgun well. snaps to the running back? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. But it does. Yeah, because it Texas, very interesting. Texas quarterbacks throughout the 70s were crap. But it's always one of those things, just less like Paul Horning, the only player to win a Heisman for a losing team. Yeah, I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I could, you know, I could make my honorable mentions, you know, Moon, McNair. Chris Johnson, you know, those are players. And I know Randy's over there going to try to persuade us on this. Uh, those are names that that are. But, I mean, to me, it's Earl Campbell that went, that was in that realm of hard-nosed running backs that, you know, that produced um, Jim Brown. That you know, you've seen uh, Walter Payton in that same style, uh, except Walter did have uh, a little bit more of the uh, lateral movements that C- Campbell did not possess. <laughs> uh, he was pretty much a north-south runner. So yeah, I mean, I went with our old Campbell uh, based on you know name recognition and being one of the most unique and hard-nosed running backs to grace the NFL uh, as a profession. He was the guy that that led to the Oilers not drafting Marcus Allen out of USC. Two quarterbacks, a running back, and an offensive lineman. Randy? Yes, sir. I, I went way off, off the cuff on this one, looking up a bunch of different things. It was tough looking, as as Jason said, there's a lot of very good offensive players that have played for the Oilers slash Titans. But Bruce Matthews, once you look at these stats, just ridiculous for an offensive lineman. 14-time Pro Bowler, 9-time All-Pro. He played every single different offensive lineman position you can in his 19 seasons with the Oilers slash Titans from 83 to 2001, 19 seasons as an offensive lineman. Can confirm that on pro football reference started as a right guard, moved over to center, 
right tackle in year three, left tackle in year four, and then from 1995 to 2000, he was the left guard. And you can also confirm, other than he missed eight games in 1987, he never missed another game other than that one season. Um, There's games he didn't start. No, there's, there's no games that he didn't start. Well, there's one. Two in the 87 season that he didn't start but played in. One in his rookie year that he didn't mm-hmm. start but played in. Yeah. 296 two. career games, 293 starts. Absolutely. And those 296 games put him 13th all time for most games played in the NFL. And if you take out and punters, he's third. I'm going to guess. Can you guys guess the two that are ahead of him? Eli and Favre. <laughs> Five is one. Is the other a quarterback? Yeah, the other is a wide receiver. Rice? Rice. Are the only two position players. George Bland is also ahead of him. He quarterbacked at times, but that was whoa, 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 back in whoa, the 50s. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. You stop right there. That man tied Y.A. Tittle's record, throwing 36 touchdown passes for the 63 Oilers. So you should. Well, that's great. God that's damn, great. Eric is passionate about this. Come on but now. He played many seasons as just a kicker. So as far as games uh, played, he played a uh, lot of the games as a kicker. Now, Tom Brady will pass him this year if he plays the whole time he's 11 behind him. But then I was looking at further because the game play thing is crazy to me. The next lineman on the list is Jim Marshall, who is 14 games behind him. The next offensive line over two seasons less if he played every single game as Lomas Brown. Right, Bruce Matthews, you got to talk about reliability and, and all of that at, for a position that gets zero recognition. The dude did it for almost 20 seasons in a position where you just get beat on every single play. Only missed eight in that one season, was there every game the rest of the way, even to his old age. Right? If you're playing 19 seasons, you're there for a long time. And started almost almost every single one of them. So none of them were cheap games that he played. I mean, I mean all of those stats, you, you can't sit there and go, he did this and this as far as yardage and goes. He's an offensive lineman. You don't have that stuff. And and the pancake stat isn't a cool stat. So, all right, just the longevity for Bruce Matthews, man. I have to give it to him. Landa was started still out the there age. slinging passes for the Raiders in his mid-40s. Bruce Matthews. Bruce Matthews' rookie season was when he was 22. He retired at 40. I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit here and say for longevity that it's not fantastic. It's impressive. Durability is fantastic. The problem is, is like you mentioned, and while I appreciate your passion on the subject, Randy, it's just not a glorious position to play. And that's fine. And there's this, that's, a, that's something that we talked about with Jason before when we mentioned the fact that almost all of the greatest of all teams are going to fall into one of three, one of three positions offensively, and that's going to be quarterback, running back, or wide receiver. Hell, I was and I'm going to give love to the big man. I was shocked we got a fullback out of last week's episode. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Allstott. Yeah, we still got some love for you, A-Train. Are you setting up the poll over there, Jason? Yes. All right, so where can people find that poll in order to vote for the Tennessee Titans' greatest of all team? At W2M Chairman on Twitter. 
The poll will and, be available until Wednesday this week. And feel free to like and share it to get the votes as a whole and get those votes pumped up because we don't want rookie numbers. we got to pump those numbers up. Yes, this is the one time, aside from last week, where we do care about numbers. So what you guys are saying is size does matter? I mean, you size know. and you got a little something you know how to use it as well. But hey, I will save my adventures for a later episode. Is it wrong I was waiting for Eric to say girth? <laughs> I'm going to family show myself for that one. Family show! Anywho. See, this is why I have mastered the art of getting other people to family show me, and I don't do it myself. <laughs> you are a master debater, Eric. I will give you that much. All right, let's get back into it here. And we move over to the defensive side of the football. Eric, why don't you go ahead and take the lead? Well, just like Dwight Freeney being the one nightmare whenever we played Indianapolis, on the one defensive side when I was looking at Tennessee, it's got to be the man, the legend, the freak, Javon Curse. I mean, for as much as we were game planning for number 93, and even with Tennessee, we had to go up against number 9, we had to deal with number 90 as well. A lot. Sometimes too much, but... God, I am having too many flashbacks. I know Jason and Randy's picks are different for this position. My pick is not, and thus carrying the greatest of all teams for the Tennessee Titans defense will be the freak, Javon Curse. We talked about J.J. Watt being that game-changing defensive performer where, de- where offensive coordinators literally had to game plan in order to be able to stop him. Javon Kirsch was much the same way because of natural, God-given athletic ability. Kirsch didn't have the dedication that Watt has. Kirsch didn't have the drive that Watt has. But Kirsch was so God-gifted with his abilities on the field that the term the freak may in and of itself not have been enough of a disclaimer. Unnaturally athletic guy for a man of his size and carried the Titans' defense for years on the defensive line. Randy, you went into the secondary for your for your pick here. Unmute your microphone, buddy. I did. I, I'm working on it. I, I, it was really tough for me to pick a Titan, honestly, just looking through it. I mean, the, the freak is, is a good pick, and that's fine for him moving on. But I went Elvin Bethea. Another really old school player, eight-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, 105 sacks all-time. So that I went for him for those numbers alone, but I, it's, it's really tough to go against Curse Again, for name recognition, I understand why you guys picked him. Jason went back into the Houston Oilers side of the franchise for his pick. Yeah, I went at Ray Childers. Uh, I mean, I think... Um, Curse is, it was my honorable mention. It came down to Curse and Childers for me, going back and forth. And I, I, I mean, and I guess it's kind of showing my age because uh, I was introduced to Childers. And that's kind of where I was starting to watch football, watching game films and everything. So that's, that 
is the nostalgia value for me. Uh, and plus, I mean, you can't – Childress still holds a record in the NFL for three forced fumble recoveries in one game. Uh, 163 games played, 887 tackles, 76 and a half sacks, 19 forced fumbles. I mean, a solid stat line. But like I said, I mean, I'm not going to uh, dip pick and try to debate uh, Curse being being the selection. I think it uh, is favorable. I just went with you know my my nostalgia value kicked in here perfectly acceptable reason here because I actually have that kind of uh, situation for Jacksonville upcoming on the defensive side. That there's a level of nostalgia involved in my Jacksonville selection because of the fact that I got to watch him play in college as much as I did. Which should tip my your, my hand as to my pick for you, Eric. Well, because uh, see, I didn't follow. Yeah, it does and I don't know. With something like him and even with these teams and he it's very tough to explain. I'll have to explain when I'm going into my pick. Very well. Let's move over to the offensive side of the ball here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Eric, it's your franchise. Obviously you're going first. Well, naturally, and I mean think about this. We were but a baby of a franchise not being taken seriously. And it was thanks to, while he was a good man, he was admittedly a bit of an old fart at the time of why we were even here. And no, I'm not talking about Tagliabue, I'm talking about our mayor at the time. We had this one wild-eyed coach from Boston College who decided, you know what, we're raising men, we're dealing with men, you're going to go to the middle of Wisconsin and practice two a days until you're pretty much vomit nothing but just clear liquid. But it made us tougher for it, at least the first time around. And as part of that franchise, we had a young, plucky backup quarterback out of Green Bay that we decided, you know what, we can work with him. Another one out of the University of Washington, no less. And that man went on to do great things, went on to lead the league in passing yards, yards per game, and even yards per attempt, while also unfortunately getting sacked the most times in that year. Yet nevertheless, even though we were only a couple years old, he was the one that led us to the verge of greatness even early on. Yes, a lot of the numbers don't sit right. 25,698 yards, 144 touchdown passes to 86 interceptions. But you combine that with a 63-54 and 54 record as a starter, including 13-2 and two of that... Uh, I can't even find the right word for that 99 season. Thank you, Tennessee. One Mark Brunel, who happens to fully coach locally here at Episcopal High School. I also selected Mark Brunel because of what he meant to the launch of the franchise and the fact that he took the franchise to the AFC Championship game in its second year in existence. With honorable mentions to, I know, Jason's pick, and to Fred Taylor as well. Fred Taylor with a little bit of a personal bias due to the fact that he played at the University of Florida. 
Brunel was the reason that the Jacksonville franchise was put on the map as early into its fr- existence as it was because of the fact that he and Taylor and the man that Randy is going to mention on the offensive line e- created. Even before Taylor, my honorable mention, a man who has unfortunately been forgotten and who I got so pissed off about when different networks couldn't spell his name. Before Fred Taylor, there was Natron Means. At fullback. And running back. Wasn't he also of the San Diego football chargers? Yes, he was on their 94 Super Bowl appearance team. So he would have been one of the early signings in the franchise's history. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would make sense that you would have an affinity for him. But Brunel, I think, would be the face of the franchise regardless. Uh, arguably, you could say he's probably the most famous face in Jacksonville Jaguar franchise history as well, just due to the fact that he's had that he had the run that he had with the team and had as much success as early as he did with the team. I see you shaking your head there. Go ahead and state your case for MJD, Jason. Uh, well, actually, mine was a three-way tie. Uh, I went with MJD uh, because, I mean, because him and Fred Taylor, uh, who was one of the other people, and I want to mention my third one as we discuss this, MJD was just a small, compact, Barry Sanders-esque individual who uh, started the, I think this is one of the very early uh, duos uh, running back by committees that the NFL seen because you had such conflicting styles. So trying to plan a defense against the Jags was really difficult because you would have uh, the Fred Taylor and the MJD trying to scheme for both of them. The third person that I was going to mention is a individual who ranks, according to Bleacher Report, number two as their um, most famous player. Randy's selection actually came out as number one. But the uh, third place the time with the wind turnbine, uh, was Jimmy Smith, a wide receiver. Um, a lot of people sleep on Jimmy Smith because he did have almost a disastrous start to his career. But I think that um, he was one uh, – him, Fred Taylor, MJD, is three names that come to mind instantly. Uh, I kind of just kind of go with the um, with the obvious because, uh, like I said, personal preference and how, like I said, how MJD and Fred Taylor changed the ski, uh, how teams schemed for a two-headed running back by committee that the Giants would go on to expound upon when they had Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw. Well, I will better say, now. Oh, go ahead, Terry. Just real quick, better now. Yes. Yeah. And I will say this, during those times, especially when MJD was at his peak, we were the only team in the NFL who used a bowling ball, and quite effectively. But Let me ask, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. 
Jason mentioned Jimmy Smith. Wasn't it Smith? M-I-S-M-I-T? No, it was Smith. Smith. I, I could have sworn I remembered it being S-M-I-T. Maybe no, that's, that's just Jimmy, one of those that Jimmy Smith about. is the actor. Oh, that's the guy from NYPD Blue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, my mistake. Continue, Eric. Yeah, because in very few people, especially here, very few sleep on Jimmy Smith because he was part of our arguably biggest wide receiver duo, Smith and Keenan McCardell. So we remember him very fondly in those days. I remember McCardell more more as a Brown. I mean, in fairness, the Browns franchise hasn't had a whole lot memorable, so that might be why. All right, Randy, once again, the offensive line. Yeah, I was, I was in a mood with Bruce Smith, and, and I, I think if I didn't go with my pick here, I, I was going to go with Mark Brunel. Uh, so I'm not going to argue for my pick. Like, I think Bruce Matthews should win for the Titans, but I, I gave mine to Tony Baselli. Just I'm very first pick for the team back in 1995, his second pick overall to the Hall of Fame offensive lineman of the year 1990s all decade decade team her career kind of got cut short wasn't super long but I just wanted to give him a shout out because I knew Mark Brunel was going to win it by the time I hit enter and sent my stuff in I'm glad Jason brought up Jimmy Smith because I think he was fantastic back in the late 90s too Jaguars have a lot of really good players all time but it's tough to like narrow it down so i was i wasn't going to go against Brunel, so i wanted to give a shout out to an offensive lineman well of course we have really good players that's why they go on to win super bowls for other teams and again (laughs) no disrespect to tony baselli i had gone into mcdonald's in my childhood in more formidable years and ordered the number 71 off the menu mad love for him but again he was that piece Brunel was just the bigger piece because lest we forget Steve Berline was okay, and he started our first game in franchise history, but you know who really put us on the map? Well, to that point, though, to Randy's point there, and Jason just brought this up here, when Bleacher Report did their thing for the greatest players for every franchise, they, too, picked Tony Baselli, Jason. I know that's why I said the number one is actually Randy's pick. Yeah, he did. I didn't. I didn't know if you still had the article up to read what they wrote about him. No, you probably didn't hear it over the wind turnbound. I muted my microphone when it happened. Don't you give me no shit. All right. We switch over to the defensive side here. And, uh, Eric, if you don't mind, I'd like to go first here because your your pick carries the t- your Your pick carries the team on defense, if I'm not mistaken. I do believe that all three of you can. Yeah, well, by all means, go right ahead. All right, so the reason I took the person that I took is because there's a two-part reason here. One, he actually had a very good NFL career, even though it was cut short due to injury. Mm-hmm. Two, he is to this day still the franchise leader in solo tackles, assisted tackles, combined tackles, and he is top 10 in sacks, quarterback hits, tackles for loss, and interceptions. Mm-hmm. Having played at the University of Penn State, linebacker you, my pick for the greatest Jaguar defensively of all time, 
is Paul Puzlozny. Now, how mad when you when your bills let him go? I was a little pissed. I'm not going to lie. Because it was one of my favorite colleges playing for my NFL team. I always enjoy when those situations happen, you know? Yeah, well, we still have to thank you for it. He had a great career here. So, yeah, cheers. I'm pretty sure the great was a tiger, not a lion, but that's neither here nor there. Well, I didn't even do, like, Tony the Tiger because, again, I'm not getting paid enough in Frosted Flakes to keep doing that. Oh, bro, if we could work out a Frosted Flakes sponsorship, I'm down. Mm-hmm. Sign me the fuck up. All right. I'm pretty sure I got outvoted 3-1 to one on this one. Eric, it is your franchise. I'll let you take the lead. Well, again, when we talk about anchors really along the line and uh, talked about the other teams that we really had to face, we can't forget, and yes, we kind of returned the favor, or really didn't return the favor, but you get what I mean. Starting here, granted, it wasn't entirely as impactful as it could have been, but we can't forget Marcus Stroud. I mean, yeah, Going ahead and wearing the number 99, it was pretty much uh, synonymous. I don't care what Joel Schmiggy thinks. Yes, even though his best season sack-wise was only six and a half, and yes, he finished his career with his last three seasons in Buffalo, for as much as we had in going up against other teams, he was our special weapon along our own defensive line, and he was really the best. But I do give an honorable mention in our secondary to Donovan Darius. Unmute my microphone now after I haven't told Randy and Jason to do so earlier. Jason, you also picked Marcus Stroud. Yeah, I mean, Stroud uh, and his counterpart, Henderson, mm-hmm. was um, two behemoths on the defensive line that you did not run against. Uh, I, I'm pretty John sure Henderson, for, for those wondering. Yeah, I'm, I think it was like they combined for like uh, Henderson standing at 6'7", 335, Stroud was 6'6", 310. Yeah, that, that's, that's a duo that you did not want to run into. Um, Stroud, I give Stroud the edge because, you know, more of the name recognition uh, because Henderson doesn't have that lasting name recognition that Stroud did. Uh, but, I mean, they they complemented each other extremely well. And, you know, that I did link with Stroud, uh, you know, just for almost all the points that Eric did make as well because, like I said, you didn't run the ball against that Jacksonville defense with him and Henderson. Randy, you made it three out of the four. Yeah, and I, there's not a ton I can add. Is it, again like like the Titans? It was tough for me to come up with the defensive players. Just I mean the, the short history of the Jaguars, and it seems like every time they have a great player like Stroud or Jalen Ramsey or anyone like that, it's just it seems to be too short lived. So you don't have like that go to name. But I went with Stroud as well for exactly what Jason said. Great, great part of that defense. A great, I mean. Yes, you have Saxonville or now whatever they were called the last couple of years, and and this defense for the Jaguars really wasn't getting much recognition nationally. But uh, fantastic player, twenty two sacks with with the Jaguars, really good player. Just again, really tough to pick. So I kind of went with the crowd on this one. 
Uh, Stroud is ninth all-time in Jacksonville franchise in sacks. Care to guess the all-time franchise leader, Eric? He was with your expansion team. Oh, I guess I don't remember specifically from the expansion team days, though. Tony Brackens. How the hell could I forget him? Oh, God. Yes. Top top 10 in franchise and interceptions as well. Yeah, because didn't he have some big plays when we went up and beat Buffalo early on in the playoffs? He is also your team's career leader in forced fumbles. Well, that's because, again, we just pretty much stomped teams into the ground. We didn't take the ball from them that much. At least not that way. So I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised none of us even consider Tony Brackens after looking at his stat line here. It's quite impressive. But well, well, because again, if you look at those early years, the most common score for those playoff games were thirty to twenty-seven. We went to Ralph Wilson and beat Jim Kelly thirty to twenty-seven. Wound up losing to Denver thirty to twenty-seven in one case. So just likes rubbing it in my face when his team beats mine in the playoffs, doesn't he? I mean, if you could beat us in the playoffs once in a while, you could do the same thing. The, but the problem with that is y'all ain't going to sniff the playoffs for the next decade. I wouldn't say that if we can somehow convince Trevor Lawrence and his fiance and his long golden locks to become yet another Florida man. I mean, think about it. Look at the posters alone alongside him and Gardner Minshew. I'm telling you, there can be some magic there. All right. I will once again take this opportunity to point out that the poll is available for the Tennessee Titans off Houston Oilers offensively. Over at W2M Chairman right now, Jason is off headset right now because Ken's is making a special guest appearance on camera. We actually saw Kenzie there, but she, you're, you were muted, so we didn't hear anything. But yeah, at W2M Chairman to vote for the greatest Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titan of all time, the poll is up and available to be voted on right now. In addition... If you stay tuned to the at W2M Chairman Twitter page, you'll find out what's going to happen this week on the show. We will go back to having once-a-week broadcasts on the kickoff. This Thursday, we will go to the ANFC preview for the regular season 2020. What's so funny? The ANFC. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, Well, originally, I... (laughs) Well, if you guys recall, originally I said, are we going to do the AFC? And then you pointed out we should do the NFC because we're doing the AFC South and the greatest of all teams. This so week. you just combined it into one and called it the ANFC. Duly noted. Yeah, so we're doing all 32 teams, according <laughs> to Harry. Yes, the American National Football Conference next week here. No, seriously. We're going to do the NFC preview for the 2020 season on this Thursday here on the kickoff. It'll be up on the newsfeed probably late Thursday night, early Friday morning, depending most likely early Friday morning, given our record time. But each of us will select a team from every division. Obviously, Jason will cover his Giants because he's the only Giants fan on the podcast. Thank God now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We will determine who gets what team when we go off the air. And if you want to find out who's covering what team, stay tuned to the at W2M chairman Twitter page. Or you'll find out when you listen to next week's episode here. 
Randy, where can people find you online? Yeah, you can find me at Randy Isbell. And also check out uh, at chapter underscore select for my, my gaming podcast. We just did the the end of Ghost of Shushima on the last episode, and we're Get getting ready to play Judgment on the next one. What was that? Get Zunite. Mm-hmm. At chapter select, also available here on the same uh, feeds that you're listening yes. to the kickoff at the W2M on the W2M network feeds here on your favorite podcast services. At chapter Jason, underscore select on Twitter. That's yeah. what I said. Yeah, yeah. Stupid people took the chapter select one, but whatever. No, you didn't say it with the underscore. No. Well, in fairness, I think we're doing the ANFC next week, so what the fuck do I know? <laughs> Very fair. I mean, hey, the George S. Hunt trophy does look beautiful from last I heard. Jason, where can people find you online? Uh, like Harry mentioned, you can uh, find me at W2M Chairman. On Twitter, uh, you'll see the poll for the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans up. Currently, we'll be running... Um, Hopefully we get some good votes. So if you do listen to this and the uh, poll is still up, please feel free to like and share and catch your vote uh, so we can pump those numbers up. Also, uh, we'll be, like Harry said, I'll be posting either late tonight, early tomorrow before I go to work, uh, everybody's team selection. So uh, feel free if you do uh, like and follow the W2M chairman page, uh, chime in. you know, give us your feedback because some of the greatest things that we do have is, you know, fan feedback uh, that, you know, we can incorporate into the show because some of these teams, we, you know, we're just going on personal bias and hope, hope things and uh, fans tend to know a little bit more than just the average individual. So feel free to leave a message about your favorite team and we can incorporate it into the show. Yeah, for as much shit as we give Robert Taylor, he definitely keeps us up to date on Kansas City Chiefs news. Well, pretty much. It's pretty much Mahomes and his love for Mahomes. And how he would go, he would become a homosexual to marry Mahomes. In addition, uh, Robert, Robert Foster is a Tennessee Titan fan, so he might be somebody to talk to for two weeks' episodes when we do the AFC, not the ANFC. And we don't give a fuck about Sean because he is a Dallas fan. Um, not it for the Cowboys, please. That's all I'm asking. Because I don't want to have to discuss them. Hard pass. Uh, let's see. Uh, I mean. Yeah, how, we... how did that randomizer come out? <laughs> that will... I, I saw that, you bitch. <laughs> what? I would rather do the redacted than Dallas. That tells you how little I care about Dallas. Well, I mean, you've got the third pick, so I mean, I'll get my choice, and that means I won't. Prob- I probably won't be stuck. We'll see what happens. I'm probably going to be stuck with one of those two teams because my guess is if if Randy has the second pick for the NFC East, he's probably taking Philadelphia. No, actually, uh, I'm the last team. I get the last pick in Allen. Oh, Aaron, do me a solid, man. Do me a solid, man. But stay tuned and you'll see the the outcome of this this lovely interaction. Eric, where can people find you online? 
Uh, you can find me at Squid Sports Head on Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, even though I am awake at what some people would call ungodly hours, I have been slacking on live tweeting of games, but hopefully as I've started to catch up on other things, I'll get back into that. And thankfully, if we can ever get schedules sorted, we will be getting back to Soccer to the Max because we now have a couple of tournaments and a few other news and notes to sort of wrap up in the world of the other football. And also, if you want to talk to me about other things, especially tutoring or any sort of general stuff, you can find me on Facebook under Eric Watkins, Guy, and the Jaguars gear in the recliner holding a glass of wine. You know what to do. And naturally, if you happen to be on Squid Sports Head and you feel that there's something missing in your life, slide into my DMs and undergo the proper vetting process, and you'll get access to my dark Twitter, Snapchat, Telegram, etc. Naturally, as always, this blog brought to you by the fine folks at Rick's TNT LLC, affiliated with Dun & Bradstreet, website coming soon. Commercial coming soon as well. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a little sum-sum in the work for that one. <laughs> because, of course, Good naturally, help. one executive producer around here actually has to rein <laughs> in and get commercials. At ATB the Eagle on all of your socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you want to find me, that's what I am. Harry Broadhurst. I'm under my real name. I don't hide behind a fake name on social media. I'm not that asshole. Um, even when I comment on like the wrestling sites and stuff, I use my Facebook login to comment on the wrestling sites. I'm not anonymous. I'm not anonymously shit posting something just to shit post it. For some reason, I can't English tonight either. Apparently, <laughs> I think. I think my English went to the ANFC as well. <laughs> but in addition, you can check out the show, um, the feeds on the show and everything as well, at W2M. I think it's at W2M Network on Twitter, right? Yes. So you can check out all of the other fine shows here on the W2M Network, such as Randy's Chapter Select. Uh, you can find old wrestling reviews that I was a part of. You can find old episodes of the flagship show, Wrestling to the Max, some of which I guess start on as well there. In addition to everything from the Rattle Edge Broadcasting Company Network, RBN. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it's a Rattle Edge Broadcasting, so. It's R-I-B-N, Rattle in Broadcasting Network. Okay, so... All of their stuff is simulcast across the uh, W2M network feed as well. Giving them a good ribbon. I kind of like that. <laughs> so, in addition, you can find all of these podcasts and more by checking out the website, which is W2Mnet.com. We are the kickoff. We are a presentation of the W2M network online at the aforementioned W2Mnet.com. In addition, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast services such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, Castbox. Hey, Eric, guess what? Spotify is here. And it's off to the next episode. Hey, 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 hey. Smoke weed every day. Catch you next time here on The Kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network. <laughs>